1: lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. Welcome to the Be Here Now Network guest podcast. This series features talks from a myriad of modern spiritual teachers expanding on how we can all live a life in balance. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, please go to
0: BeHereNowNetwork.com guest.
1: I want to talk a little bit about the Prajnaparamita uh, teachings in a way. And Prajna the perfection of transcendent wisdom. So we have an image. and imagery is always interesting um, of this beautiful goddess, but the Prajna goes much deeper than that. This is a, these are a teachings, a set of suttas that appeared on the scene, uh, a whole way of viewing reality that was far beyond what anybody had been uh, studying before, right, in the Buddhist tradition. And so they say when the the Buddha was teaching that he taught as a way of explaining, it was turning the wheel. And you'll see wheels quite a bit in Buddhist iconography imagery. You often see a golden wheel and you'll see um, two deer, kind of guarding the wheel and this is like the wheel of truth and often they're outside dharma centers especially in the tibetan tradition and then it'll often have the eight uh links uh, or sometimes 12 links of dependent origination or the eight links for the eightfold path or some some way of you know either the wheel of samsara or the wheel of freedom right so and these circles and wheels are always there you know Everything happens in a circle. Everything is going and returning again and again. I was thinking about that. Birds build their nest in circles. The sun is a circle, the earth is a circle, the moon. Everything has these cycles of life. And so the Buddha, as you know, the Siddhartha, the story, the prince leaves the palace, goes off becomes you know battles it out for six years looking for knowledge and what I think he was really looking for to understand was the question I posed why is it so painful <laughs> I'm sure he had a princely life right everything you could want but what happens one day he wakes up there's this pain like what is this Why is it so hard to be happy? Why does it seem like something's hindering our happiness? This is a really important question. Not that we want to be negative or pessimistic. It's that our unhappiness actually is the doorway. It actually, we take our dissatisfaction and our dis-ease as a a course. It's a wake-up call. It's a messenger so we don't discount what's not working. We look at like, where is this not, there's a squeak in the wheel, what's going on here, right? And we use that to investigate. We use our suffering to look at what is going on and suffering and freedom. To wake up, you have to be willing to look deeply at what doesn't work, right? You have to look deeply at where we're caught in order to get free, right? You can't You can't find freedom if you're not willing to look closely at where you're imprisoned. It's impossible. You don't just get the key, right? (laughs) You got to go down. You got to unlock the door. You got to see how it's working. Ah, Okay, here's here's how it's all happening, right? So there's something really profound about that. So the Buddha, Siddhartha, the Buddha, as he became a Buddha, which just means awakened one, They say that he turned the first wheel and they call that wheel, the the Theravada teachings come out of that, they call it the Hinayana. So they said the three yanas, right? So he turned the wheel the first time. He comes, gets this download of these amazing teachings. He didn't invent them. He just reached, discovered an ancient teaching. They're not new, right? He just, it's like he dusted off the path to show the way, you know, like these hills, if the caretakers didn't clear them every year, what would happen to them? They would, you'd lose your way, right? You can, every year they had to be cleared again, made new, post a little sign, here it is, stay on this lane, right? In some way, Siddhartha, the Buddha did that, right? He cleared the way, but the path is ancient, beyond concept and time, right? And he, he's the owner of it. He just rediscovered, ah, look, there is a path here, but it's been covered. Let's clear it. And then let's start showing people the way, right? The way to happiness and the way to end this angst and pain that we carry as humans. Um, And those are due to many causes and conditions. And we'll talk a bit about that. So the first turning of the wheel was about this liberation that you can become a liberated Nibbana and you as an individual can become free. That was kind of the first big wave like, oh, there's a path and you can do it. Then a few hundred years later, they say the wheel turned again and a whole nother set of teachings appeared, right? So first we had the Hinayana and they call it the Mahayana, right? And it's like, oh... We can wake up. Ah, so it goes from the individual to more of this "we" consciousness, right? This collective, and so the Prajnaparamita suttas appear on the scene as this new second wheel is turning, where it says we can do this together. Suddenly, you have a much more uh, uh, grander vision. Right? I don't just get enlightened for myself, but I get enlightened for all beings. And um, <clears throat> and this becomes really important. It becomes a turning point. Uh, at that point, you have what comes onto the scene is the archetype of a bodhisattva. right? And so then we have even another turning after that, and that is a Vajrayana. And that becomes a whole path of tantric practices that even accelerate that. And the Prajnaparamita... Uh, suttas is kind of connected in that way to even the third turning. So I wanted to kind of explain that. Some of you might be going, what does that mean? It's just levels of expanded awareness. It starts off with I, myself, then it goes to we, and then it becomes kind of like a superpower. Like, ah, for the benefit of all beings. I'll take on sort of more of a role of... uh, sort of we become the hero, we use life to wake up, right? And that's kind of where the wisdom of Prajnaparamita comes from. So this refers in in the second wheel, the Prajnaparamita refers to the perfected way of seeing the nature of reality. See, in the first turning, it was still a lot of rules, right? Don't do this, don't do that. Think like this, don't think like that, Which for a lot of people, they can get caught in that, right? It becomes dry. <laughs> like, <clears throat> And then when you think about expanding that a little bit, you also have a danger when you say, okay, everything is everything. <laughs> we can also get slipped up without rules there, right? <laughs> so how do you live between these two? I'm going to talk a little bit about that because Paramita talks about this nature of reality as being empty yet full. Emptiness, how do we make sense of emptiness? Non-dual, have you ever heard that term? Non-dual, right? Everything has one taste. They described it as suchness, right? No good, no bad, no up, no down, no path, no here, no there. Nobody is here. So that can scare people half to death, right? Uh, What do you mean? Give me the rules again, give me the rules, give me the path, you know, it's like, here's the path. And then what Prajnaparamita is saying, here's the path and here's no path, they are the same. And so this was a big deal to have suddenly it went from rules, 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 rules to it's all empty. But Prajnaparamita is in this, this sutta, this collection appears on the scene And it's feminine. They say that this sutta gives birth to Buddhas. It's the mother of the Buddhas, these teachings. It gives birth to enlightened consciousness, this view. So for the first time, this real feminine energy is coming on. And what's so great about... Prajna, uh, Paramita, the, the mudra, if you can see. And we meant, to, we're going to move the statue around a little bit. You know, it twirls. It does twirl. We're going to twirl it so it can kind of be seen from different directions. But the mudra is sort of like holding this this kind of image here, right? And it's kind of resting. And it, it kind of is the play of the light and the dark. It's the play of duality, right? Right. In many ways, it's like, it's embracing the shadow and the light as one. But that has a danger to it, doesn't it now? (laughs) Like, you know, there's these conventional reality is, uh, you know, they talk about these two truths and we're gonna, and I wanna point to a teaching. So if some of you, if it's hard to understand, forgive me, I'll, I'll back up. But I wanna just explain the view a little bit. So in the Buddhist tradition, there are two truths. So we'll call this truth right here, conventional reality. This is a relative reality. Well, we'll say, here we are, it's Thursday. We're at a place called Spirit Rock. We're at a meditation retreat. My name is Spring, right? So we use these conventions because we have to navigate, right? If we didn't have that, it'd be where do you end and I begin, right? We, we need to say where the bathroom is, that's the dining room. So these are, this conventional relative level is important, but on a, on a very uh, ultimate reality, right? We're all made of light and energy. We're just a play of energy. So on the quantum level, and science just loves Buddhism now because they're studying this, the empty nature, and they're trying to make sense of it from a like it's proving this Dharmic view of Prajnaparamita, but oh, how do we live with this truth? So I hold up this, what we call what, a striker for this, right? A bell ringer. Now there this appears as if something's here, right? Looks solid. But if I was to look at the quantum level very closely, the scientist, there's nothing here but moving atoms very quickly. And if I even look deeper into that, there is nothing there, right? So it's emptiness appearing. And at some unknown point, this thing disappears on its own. At some point, this piece of wood and wrapped up in a little fabric, Who knows when it disappears? Maybe we one day leave it outside and it just disintegrates or someone breaks it in half and those go in a trash, you know. This is also true, that we are, you know, made of stardust. Someone sent me this beautiful uh, image of a star and said, Spring, I found this really old picture of you. (laughs) (laughs) And I live like this is a picture of all of us. So do we lose track of that truth all the time? Right? We forget when we're in the middle and we're fixated that we're stardust. We're like, no, this is real. No, no, no. This is but it's important to balance those. If I live too much in the stardust view, right, then I don't pay my bills. We're they're a construct, you know? Why would I? Why would I do that? The IRS is there just it's all it's all made up. Yeah. That doesn't really work. You have to have one foot because you'll suffer, right? <laughs> you have to tend to the conventional. But if I only believe in the conventional. This is it. I, me, I struggle through this one life. I fight. I, 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 I grasp. I cling. This is all I am is this pain, the suffering, my ancestors' pain. This is all the story there ever is, will be. That's it. What is that? That's also suffering, total suffering, right? I miss that we're the mystery. We're, we're part of the universe, Right, and there's this other reality that Prajna is pointing to saying it's empty, right? We are the dream and we are the makers of the dream. We invent where the eagle sits, <laughs> right? We, we, it's our creation too, but we have to learn how to hold these. So, so this set of teachings is really, really pointing to something. It's, that's why it's the wisdom beyond, 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 gone, beyond, even that, which we hold on to wait beyond that. Anything we could cling to no clinging here. It's beyond that. Right. So this is the, this is the feminine energy of truth. So Prajnaparamitas and this particular consciousness comes on the scene as the mother energy, the great mother. So I look at this also very much as connected to Gaia, anything that we call mother is connected to this consciousness, this awakened energy that sees through delusion, but it's hard to rest in emptiness, Right, But we can turn the mind as we just take in a little bit of the Dharma teaching here. We can learn more and more how to understand this as a path that we can activate here and now. So I want to talk about a few aspects of this. What's sort of the core in this particular sutras that can be looked at, that we can understand? Emptiness isn't something that you can, you can contemplate it. And it's not emptiness in a word that we would associate, like somebody comes in and they're depressed totally and they say, I'm empty. It's the opposite of that. It's empty of an egoic view. The ego has, we've seen through it. It's empty of self. You know, the mind that you long to have when you sit on the cushion that just, the thinking goes totally silent like this. (sighs) it's just the breath, it's the wind. It's kind of pointing in that direction. I think it's so beautiful, the sitting outside, right? Because there's something about sitting in nature, we contact that spaciousness a bit more. I love to sit outside. I love to sit under trees. There's some part of us that when we're in nature, the mind gets quieter Right, we're not so lost in our neurotic thinking, moment after moment. You know the neurotic thinking I'm talking about, right? That fills twenty-four hours of our day, even when we're sleeping. It's going right. I thought that that me. And what is most of it filled with? It goes like this: I I I I I I I me 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 I me me I I I every second, every second, to the point where we just. Wanna die. I mean, like, is this ever gonna end? Is this possible to end it? And we catch moments here and we're like, thank God, oh my god, I had a moment. It was so peaceful. It was yesterday at 2:30. I looked at a turkey. The voice stopped. This is like what we're contending with, the habit. It's not just you. This is our condition. I remember this gun, I was teaching a young adult retreat and I think this is with Anne, yeah, Ann Cushman, one of our colleagues. And a girl came in to see Anne and was crying. And she said, it's like I'm in a telephone booth with a lunatic with a megaphone. <laughs> and she cried, make it stop. Make it stop. And, and Anne was telling me, and I thought about that for a long time. I was like, I know what she's talking about. <laughs> I was... You had that lunatic. I had that lunatic. You know, it's like, yes, we all, and we're all longing to turn the volume down, right? Because it's a story after story of me. It's broken. It's not working. You're wrong. It's bad. It's, this is awful as hell. Even in the middle of a beautiful moment, this is not, this is just, it could be better, you know? (laughs) If only I had a latte. If only... They did, you know what I mean, that something is wrong with the moment. Even in the most beautiful vacations, you see people. I said, when I was younger, we would, you know, go to places and you'd see people in paradise fighting, you know, wherever you go, really, there you are. And one of the things that inspired me about the girl describing the lunatic was I. I gave a talk that night and I said, There's not just a lunatic in there, there's also a Buddha. As if we don't hear that one. The lunatic does have the megaphone. But over time, it goes down because we stop, we know how to turn the volume down, right? We see through it. We start to see, oh, the lunatic is actually empty. At first, it appears so real. Oh my God, this is real. Every thought is really. Oh, this is true. This is it. And as you sit, you just start letting the thoughts go. Is this true? This isn't. Do I need to focus on that? No. You start just. You know, the mindfulness becomes like a crossing guard. Like no, 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 don't go there. Right. The mindfulness becomes when it's really powerful. It's a muscle, and it's a muscle that is. Will lead to wisdom because it's going, no, don't, no, no, no. Remember, you already processed that. No, no, we did this already. You don't need to go. That's in the dumb section, right? Oh, okay, right. All <laughs> right. I, 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 right. It's over. Okay, coming back, right? It's like it keeps us from being insane, kind of, <laughs> or feeding that part of the mind because we've, that's what we've always done. So, Prajnaparamita is like, pointing to this wisdom that's beyond and it incorporates the emptiness the quiet is the end of that monotonous dictator that we listen to hour after hour right the volume starts to go down and there's a place of beyond that a peace beyond that an accessible place inside all of us it is our true nature and so this becomes a place that we can touch into, whether you're sitting out on the hill or you're drinking a cup of tea and you're just with the tea. You and the tea. There's no analysis of the tea, what kind you need to get tomorrow and what, how it doesn't taste sweet and maybe if you put it on, it's just the tea. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just the simple tea. And so we learn how to become simple. And that simpleness leads to a lot of happiness because I think contentment is highly undervalued, (laughs) right? It's like a peace mind, like, you know, a peaceful mind, a mind filled with peace. So to understand Prajnaparamita is to see emptiness, is to start seeing those moments that's seeing the dream like nature. And when we say the dreamlike nature is to see a moment and I'll guide a meditation tomorrow around seeing thought. Every time you wake up out of a movie of thinking, you've just seen the illusion. Right? You're in this fourth grade memory and I can't believe she said that. And then I said that. You know, there's a little arguing going on a lot. And no wonder we have so much anxiety. We fight all day, unresolved fights. My mother, my cousin, my coworker, the president, the politician, right? We're just fight, fight, fight all day long. But the moment you wake up, oh, it's just a thought. Start labeling, it's just a thought. It's not reality. (laughs) It's just a thought about reality. But thoughts have so much power, don't they? I used to ask Manger um, Rinpoche, uh, who is a really beautiful Tibetan Lama. He went on a four-year retreat and yeah, Devin knows him, Manger. I remember I was asking him, why are thoughts so seductive? <laughs> why do I keep thinking they're real? And he was like, ah, that's the clarity of the mind. Seems real, doesn't it? Like, don't you just dream up a thought and it seems like you're right at work. You're looking right in the person's eye. You can see it, you can smell it. It's like 3D. It's not real. And then he, said, he was describing the clarity of the enlightened mind. He said, Ah, it creates this like real, the sharpness of our imagination. This is very important to see how much you're adding on to your day of what can just be a simple walking out the door in peace and walking back in. What is extra, right? What are we adding on that is torture, that is horrible, that is concepts, that are ideas that sometimes aren't even our ideas or other people's ideas, right? What am I believing about myself? And to start to see it as just empty phenomena <laughs> rolling on, rolling on, rolling on, rolling on. It's a really beautiful way to start practicing, right? We, we take a vastness as the object. And instead of sometimes focusing on the breath, we focus on awareness of the breath itself, awareness of awareness. We take on sort of the, the, the pointing of a bigger place for us to drop into. We train in awareness. We train in the breath, and it's good, breath and body. But at some point, we let the mind go and discover the vastness, like the universe, right? There is no beginning and end to it. It's just space itself. We are air element. We are space itself. We are like the stars. Just don't recognize that on a daily basis. So... This word, perfection, connected deeply to the bodhisattva path, so it's deeply connected to compassion. This suttas, to see emptiness, clearly one must know compassion deeply. To let go, one needs compassion. The neurotic mind won't let go without a fight, right? Have you seen this already? (laughs) Like just the Okay, okay, I've done this. And then there it is again, right? Like haunted, you know, a little bit. And so we need a certain amount of compassion. And I want to explain a little bit about that, but I want to describe to so like reading this poem by David Wolf, Wolf called Bugs in a Bowl. Ha Shan, the great and crazy, wonder filled Chinese poet of a thousand years ago, said, Hey, we're just like bugs in a bowl. All day, going around, never leaving their bowl. I say that's right. Every day, climbing up the steep sides, sliding back over and over again, around and around, up and back down. Sit in the bottom of the bowl, head in your hands, cry, moan, feel sorry for yourself. Or look around. See your fellow bugs. Walk around, say, "Hey, how you doing? Nice bowl, huh?" (laughs) It's kind of the beginning of the from this view to like nice bowl, huh? What? How's it going out there, right? Instead of like, this is the beginning of the prajna view a little bit, right? You know, and then you're out of the bowl. When you're out of the bowl, there is no bowl then. Right, and so the compassion piece becomes really, really important. And compassion for self has to be well established first. Most people kind of have an understanding of compassion, maybe in a more biblical way or religious way. Or I'm compassionate. I gave a dollar to the homeless guy yesterday. You know, we throw it and run for you know our car door. (laughs) I'm compassionate. I, I hope he can get something to eat. That is one level, yes, that's nice, you know, but that's not the, uh, the depth of this kind of wisdom-based compassion that has to be directed toward yourself. The real compassion is the one that you have for you. It's nice that we can share it outside, but as spiritual practitioners, how you relate to your own suffering is of most importance here. Right? How you relate to you when you're experiencing pain, when you're upset, when you're feeling uh, terror, when you feel so much heartbreak you don't even know how to breathe anymore, or sobs, or when you're in the depth, how do you meet yourself there? That is really key. So I want to share a little bit from my book, A Fierce Heart. I talk about meeting um what i call the great chief and it and i say chief but it could be uh in the image um, that i had on make it was also a woman it's so i say the great chief but it could be chiefess is that the word chief chiefess chiefess it's chiefess meeting the great chiefess <laughs> and um I tell this story because I had done a lot of compassion practice up until then. I thought I knew what it was all about. That's why I say, I don't even know now. I thought I know how to do this. In fact, I it was during a time I was in Oakland and I had already started the East Bay Meditation Center and it was a time I got really burnt out. It was so many problems and all day, my my days were filled with trying to solve them. And I felt like the whole world, I took the world on my shoulders, right? Not skillful, right? That's, that's not the Prajna Parvita way, right? A, right? I'll explain more about that. But I, uh, so I thought I need a break. I, I can't, I need to go on retreat. So I decided to do a five month retreat. And I went up to uh, Crestone, Colorado, which is a place that I had fallen in love with. My sister had spent a lot of time there doing retreats and, and I love the Native American, very connected to those shamanic traditions, especially Native American medicine traditions and earth-based traditions. So I thought, okay, this is where I wanna go. And there was a tiny little Tibetan center at the foothills of the Sande de Cristo mountains. And Crestone only had a tiny population But most of the people who lived there were spiritual because uh, there had been a family that owned a million acres or some number there. And they gave it all away to spiritual organizations. So all the Tibetans had a huge amount. They had a nunnery. There's a Zen center. There was a Hindu center. I mean, it was really in town. There was monks and nuns and all kinds of hippies and everyone else, you know, in between who are visiting these centers. I highly recommend just going there. Uh, so there was a little Tibetan center. And I, I was like, okay, I'll stay there for five months and do compassion practice. And I stayed for two months in there. And uh, I realized there was only eight people there. It wasn't totally silent, our meals were chatty. And there was this really cute Bhutanese monk who lived there. And I say he was cute because he was just so adorable. But the problem was whenever he saw me, he wanted to spend hours practicing English. And I, I realized I didn't want to talk anymore. I was like, I can't, something was going very still. And so I thought, I can't stay here anymore. It's too noisy. Even though I like it, it's not quite it. And so, you know, the magic of life, a nun comes to have lunch that day talking about, oh, you want to do real practice. There's a cabin, a yogini cabin. I was like, that's where I want to go, a yogini cabin. And then you imagine how fun it will be, right? Me and my yogini cabin, being a yogini, you know, whatever (laughs) that meant, you know. It certainly didn't mean suffering in my mind, right? It meant me connecting to my higher self, no one bothering me, getting on my nerves in the kitchen, or, you know, and, uh, I could do what I want, and you know? And so they they were like, are you sure you're going to stay up there for three months? I had already rented my house out. There was no going back, right? I was like, yes, I, I want to leave here. Take me to the yogini cabin. <laughs> And they were like, "Well, there's no indoor plumbing, and there, you know, I, I, I'm gonna stay here. I can do it." And I had a just no phone, no computer. I had a stack of Dharma books. It was like the nature of reality, one through ten. It was like reading the Bible, you know. I was like, "I can study these for my wisdom," and. <laughs> And then I arranged the, the, the little organic store. And I said, I'm going to go to my yogini cabin. And they said, we'll help you. We'll bring food up. you know. And I prepaid. And they were going to bring food up every 12 days, like fresh food. and and uh, And the whole thing was set to go. Well, little did I know, I'm glad I did two months of compassion practice before going there. As the caretaker was driving down the hill... He said, I'll bring you water in 10 days, okay? There was no shower. You just take water on your deck and splash around, you know? And there was a oven for, I mean, a, a stove for heat. And there was huge amounts of wood. And he drove down the hill. And it was like in that moment, I already descended into the worst mental place I could have ever. It was like despair and sorrow with terror all together basically went on for three months nonstop. I just sorrow I'd never known ever. I, I I call it African sorrow. It kind of reminded me of my friend Sabanfu when we would do grief rituals here. It was this grief that was like kind of insanely, it would just carry me outside in wails and was turning and spinning. And then I would come in and then all night I would shake in terror I was just convinced I was going to be destroyed at any moment. Wild animals, wild people. I don't know. I mean, I lived in East Oakland. It was way worse than that, you know. I thought, this, could, this is safer than where I am every day. But the mind does not, it doesn't matter, right? And at, at two weeks, I thought, surely I'll go insane. I can't see her two and a half more months. And then I started praying for compassion I started remembering compassion, compassion. I started thinking about, I started mantra, compassion. And I was doing prostrations and studying and a lot of purification. And I knew purification was happening because I was inviting these kind of Vajrayana practices to, you know, I I wanted liberation. So I write about this meeting the great chief and I talk about how the great chief finally came and every day, if the great chieftains was with me, then I could get through the day, and it came full on. And I thought I knew what compassion really was, right? And it was a superficial understanding. It was a It, was a, uh, it just wasn't a deep understanding. It was a, a general like, "Yes, these are good qualities to have, right? Uh-huh. I didn't understand when the Dalai Lama talked about the need for compassion. I didn't get it. I didn't understand when uh, the llamas or spiritual people who had gone to caves and places when they were saying the need for compassion is paramount, like wisdom here, compassion here. Oh, right. Because what I was able to do is to let go of all that. It helped me to let go, right? I could feel the suffering and then the chief would come in and say, we are here together. And I was able to kind of unwind only what could have been, I had to do that alone. It wouldn't have made sense to do it with anyone there. It wouldn't have looked, no one could have helped me through that. That That's actually a piece I had to do by myself. Um, And during that time, I actually did connect uh, with a friend of mine every couple of weeks. And she was kind of guiding me a little bit. But mostly it was the chief who came day after day. And to sleep, I tell that story about sleeping because I had this tiny little, it was about the cabin was just slightly bigger than a single room here. but It just had a little kitchen and, oh, and the kitchen, it wasn't even a kitchen, it was just a tiny little stove. And I had a, a um, a Jenner, I mean, I, uh, what do you call it? Uh, I had a little light from the sun, the solar panel. I had a tiny solar panel so I can get a tiny light at night. Um, But to sleep, I remember since I would just shake and tear all night long, it's not good after three or four days, right? Uh, I was able to, I would put these huge pillows that were like the Zabutons behind me. And I would imagine they were the bosoms of Mother Earth. And I would just sink down into them like right in the middle. And I'd imagine these like giant breasts were like, you know, like squeezing me so Like, okay, I could, and that was the only way, and I would chant compassion mantras, and I could sleep. If I didn't do that, I couldn't sleep, right? And so I decided, wow, this is, yeah, I learned a lot on that retreat. (laughs) And it's not that you need to go through that. Some people go, well, I don't want to do that, you know. (laughs) They write me notes after I share about that retreat. Do I have to go to a retreat like that? I don't really, I have kids, I have work, I can't do that, right? That's my karma, you know, (laughs) that's my path. That's not for everybody's path, right? But you will have moments of like, of dealing with that. You do, you have already. How do we deal with when somebody dies? How do we deal with it when we get sick? How do we deal with it when someone leaves us? How do we deal with injustice that is just bombarding the airwaves every moment? How do we deal with it if we're sexually assaulted? How do we deal with our own trauma as it comes up from when we were so small and now it's arising, here we are? How do we meet it now? It comes when we have the compassion. You have to be able to turn toward your pain with care, right? So beautifully, Aaron talked about RAIN, the the recognize, accept and allow, investigate, non-attach. You'll be able to do that work if you can hold it with care. Like, I don't know why I suffer sometimes. I don't care. I just immediately start turning toward it. I don't know why sometimes tears just start flowing Sometimes just out of the blue, or sometimes I might get really afraid, right? I'm just, and I'm in my house full of crystal love, notes. It's like, who knows why terror happens in the middle of walking in the hills? We don't have to go, where is this from? Is this from here? I need to analyze that. We just, the first response is I care about it. And that's what I've trained my mind to do. And compassion really means care. It means I care about the world's pain, but more importantly, I care about mine. If I care about mine, I will inherently care about yours. And it will be way more authentic. Right? If I don't really care about mine, I'm never gonna really go there so much. I can a little bit, but I need to include myself always in compassion. So that's a big problem, is people don't include themselves. It's all outward, right? And that leads to compassion fatigue, burnout, right? All these conditions where we end up getting ill. Actually, if you go out every day and you're just out in the world solving problems, caring about the world, but none of that is towards you, you'll, you'll get sick very quickly. You'll be ineffective because you have to be a part of that healing. We cannot leave ourselves out of this energy. Actually, we have to be at the, the cornerstone of it. First, we learn it here, then we move outward. And also, um, you know, there's a wisdom that comes from compassion because it's only really compassion, the chiefest, that could help me let go of all that trauma. See, I wasn't ready before. I had to generate a huge amount to be able to bear witness to it to keep from going crazy, basically. And I had to keep generating compassion. Like, okay, I can, I don't understand this. I don't need to understand just, oh, more tears. Okay, let's get the tissue. Okay, let's put the hand on the heart. Okay. It was like a doctor. I just tend to it with care. This is how we will heal ourselves. This is how we become our own healers. This is how we have to learn how to change instead of hating ourselves for feeling vulnerable. We open to it with care. Also, um, some of my Tibetan teachers used to be always tell me, you know what the good thing is about suffering spring? And I'd be like, what? And I'd say, compassion. You need to generate it somewhere. No suffering, no compassion. <laughs> they were, like quite cheerful about it. <laughs> I really admire Tibetans though for they really have endured those things that they grow into. My God, so I'm locked in prisons 20 years. I read the story about the Dalai Lama's doctor who was in prison and was let out and just ah, nonstop compassion practice was his survival. That's how he got through just oh, a huge amount of torture. I just, and it's so confusing to think that human beings would believe that through harming another, they would be happy. It's the height of madness. And we have compassion for that too. Like when I see beings harming other beings, I think they're only planting seeds of pain for themselves, right? And so that, that's how I can feel compassionate. Doesn't mean I don't stand up. Doesn't mean I, I do what I can. Um, but it starts with us. You know, the lamp is on you. We start with ourselves. We start with where is my mind in this moment? What, what is happening within me? Can I care about it? Okay, I care about it. And then when it's ready to let go, I let go of it and I rest in emptiness again. And then out of the emptiness, you know what happens? A whole another tangle comes. Out of the quiet, right? Walking along. Where did all this come from? I was just fine 10 minutes ago. Well, this is the path of purification. This is, I'm going to say that again, this is the path of purification. So we're going from, you know, imagining the crystal, you know, beautiful crystal, and you cover it in oil, right? And you, you can't see it. Or if you've even cut into an amethyst, you know, it's this kind of brown, Rock shell, but then you cut right in and you open it like wow, (laughs) look at all this in there. (laughs) We are uncovering, we are unveiling moment by moment. We're like we're cleansing the mind here. Spirit Rock to me is a hospital. I said this all the time in my meetings with people. This is a spirit hospital, right? You come here to let go, you come here to remember, and all of this you already know you just forgot. I'm not telling you anything new. This is not new information. It's just you forgot. And now it's like, oh, (laughs) for some of you, it's like, yes, yes. For me, when I heard the Dharma, it was like remembering an old friend. It's like, yeah, yes, I do remember this, right? But we were forgetting. And so mindfulness is the practice of remembering. You're here to remember And this is a good thing. We can remember together. And it's important to, when you think of compassion, I'll just end with this last, this piece is that, when you look at somebody sitting next to you, you have no idea what they've been through. No idea. You know, we can make up a big story about who they are, right? Makeup, things, <laughs> you know, we do this all the time. This is what our world does, right? But it's just to remember to be gentle, you know? We're here as a community of women and there has to be, I think, within this, the mother of Buddhas within ourselves, it's us that will give birth to this enlightenment. It's us that will fan these flames. It's the feminine, that will rise again. And that has to start with each other. And so sometimes honoring the needs of people here, there's people of color here, there's LGBTQI here, and a lot of groups feel hurt and attacked and traumatized in unique ways. And it can just be helpful as a community practice to not try to judge, but just say, I support. I support the need to gather. I support the need to... It's not a separation, it's a healing. Like we all are trying to... So I just invoke that as a way that there's a lot of times we don't understand each other but we can learn through the heart. Like you listen to the heart, the heart is wise. The mind, my mind is a baby. I. Whenever there's a lot of intensity, the last thing I'll say, I really do this practice all the time. I tell people this, I say it often like somebody brings me something really challenging or like, oh, some serious news or there's some big complexity or organizational thing. (laughs) Like, oh my God, this thing happened. Or somebody I meet one-on-one or I'm doing healing work in Peru with them or something. I always, I know now I can't absorb it in my mind because my mind is just a baby. So I imagine it goes deep into my heart because my heart can hold it. Because I'm like, my mind's a baby, but my heart has deep roots and it can expand and hold energy. So that's also somewhere that you can start to metabolize your trauma. Your mind can't sort out the the planetary things people are doing, but your heart can hold it and metabolize it. You bring it down here. You say, okay, my heart, because our hearts are ancient deep, vast. You will discover this. You know this, but you don't access it for a lot of us. We're not in tune with listening. So I always bring things right here and I do this breath practice and I'll just breathe it in light and I'll just expand to hold more of what I just heard or more of my own process. And that actually starts to let it go because then what does my heart do? It goes, compassion machine, right? (laughs) And it it starts metabolizing that suffering into a kind of love and acceptance and and an understanding that even that too is empty, right? The compassion, real compassion sees emptiness, this temporary, that at some point, all that pain will be evaporated and the dance will turn into something else. It always does. This is temporary human experience here. And the wisdom of Prajnaparamita sees that as well. We are disappearing. We do not know how long we are here. We are pretending to know. Death is certain, time unknown, right? And so there's a preciousness of waking up to the, even that truth. We appear, we disappear. Every moment, this is happening all around us. And so there's a preciousness that we can bring in a compassion to that. We have compassion for that. So, so let's evoke the great chief this. <laughs> and uh, all the wisdom of all the prajnaparamitas. I wanna maybe just taking a breath and imagine your heart is expansive. Like the mother of the Buddhas is our true nature, we are that infinite wisdom. See if you could just breathe it in a little bit and expand, expand. And may any good that has come from this day may be dedicated all to the healing and the liberation of all beings everywhere